Hey y'all, it's K-Bird Tweets, and this is Peace, Love, and Baseball. Welcome to Peace, Love, and Baseball in the year 2024. Happy New Year. I hope you all had an amazing holiday season. Well, the transition into January is always kind of rough, right? I mean, it is It is for me. Maybe it depends on where you live, but we are getting closer to pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training, but in many parts of the world, and definitely where I'm at, it is cold and gray. And now it's cold and gray all without the excitement and warmth of the holidays and fun anticipation of those things, right? The holidays can also be stressful though too. So maybe you're just feeling like ready to kind of take a step back, get back into your regular routine. There's a a lot of different emotions going on, right? Now, I am not here to like preach this new year, new you kind of stuff, because there's a lot of pressure that can come along with that. And I feel like we put that on ourselves as it is. So we'll talk a little bit about that today, but it is a new year. Uh, I'm the same me, you're the same you, but we are going to try a, a little something different when it comes to peace, love, and baseball. So new year, same you, new peace, love, and baseball. Yeah. Okay. We're on board. While a lot of the content that you've enjoyed here will absolutely be the same to a certain extent, we're going to put a bit more of a consistent structure to it that I'm going to tell you about today. And I do think I'm going to start this as like a new season in terms of how the episodes are going to show up on YouTube and Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff, wherever you are consuming it. So you might notice that. So I I guess this is season three. I did season one like the whole first year. And then once I hit a year, which was 50 episodes, I started season two. So we've done like 16 episodes. There's been like 16 weeks since then. But I think we're just going to start start this new format kind of off as a new season. Why not? I have been doing Peace, Love, and Baseball weekly for a year and five months. And my goal annually and also what I've planned for is to put out 50 episodes a year. So essentially at some point, typically around a major holiday or two throughout the year, like last week, there might be a week off, but otherwise I'm here for you with your weekly peace, love, and baseball every Tuesday. And a big part of what I have set out to do here is kind of figure out what kind of content I want to produce. That's what we're all doing, right? As creative people and as content creators, what kind of content people connect with and what keeps it fun for for me and for me to want to keep doing it and for you to engage with. So there's a couple big things that I'm going to incorporate in that I'm definitely really sure of. And one of those things is that I want to cover all of baseball and not just a specific team in in this podcast specifically. And another one of those things is that I don't want to only exclusively talk about just baseball. Like there's so much room for conversation that just expands on the baseball conversation, but so, so many things that just helps us expand on human conversation and connection. So we're going to keep all of that up too. Don't you worry. 
But let's talk about the new segments and the setups, and and we'll just kind of do a trial run, a test run, shall we? Okay, so our first segment, I think the way we're going to start out most of these episodes will be called This Week in Peace, Love, and Baseball. And this is inspired by This Week in Baseball, which was an American television series that focused on Major League Baseball highlights. So it would broadcast weekly during the baseball season, and originally it was hosted by longtime Yankees announcer Mel Allen. So you may be familiar with it. Before this content was at our fingertips, like just constantly shoved in our faces, this was what baseball fans would tune into to be able to catch up on everything and see all the best plays and just get everything kind of condensed and the good information presented in a fun and informative way. So that's that's what we're going to do. That's the ideal idea. Thanks for that, Mel. So we'll have you know, some peace, some love, and some baseball. That is what we do here. So peace is going to tend to be like the health, wellness, lifestyle stuff might be something that is relevant to the times. Like today, we're going to talk about the resolution mindset, how we reflect back on 2023 and start a new year, because that's what we're all dealing with right now. Could be something like that. And that, that's what we're going to talk about this week. And then we'll get to the love segment. So let's get right to this week in peace, love, and baseball and start with some peace. The resolution mindset is like, I feel like it's it's a thing. It's there. It's It's happening to you and to me, whether we want it to or not. There are just these times. It's kind of the same way that every time Monday comes back around, we're like, it's the start of a new week. This could be a great week. Like it's time to begin again, another opportunity. So there's like this certain amount of pressure that comes with it. I think even if you try to take the pressure off, I always try to tell myself that like, it doesn't matter if it's January or it's September or whatever, like you can do whatever, whenever it makes sense and works for you. And that's absolutely true. But I do think it's important to acknowledge the fact that like, it's just such a big part of our culture and a big part of what you are seeing and consuming right now that it's kind of hard to avoid it. So I wanted to share with you a couple of things that I have done that kind of help take the pressure off of that and, and keep me in a positive mindset around this time of year. Because personally, like I, I put a lot of pressure on myself for just to constantly be moving forward and, you know, be working towards something and have a certain level of accomplishment. And it's really hard not to compare yourself to other people like in your age or in your same demographic, all of that kind of stuff. But one of the things that I like to do at this time of year that helps keep me in a good headspace is to reflect back with gratitude on the past 12 months. And something kind of silly and simple that really helped me to do that was I saw people were putting up, I mean, all kinds, I don't do the TikTok because I'm like 80 years old, but I saw people putting up like TikTok videos and Instagram collages of like a photo or a couple photos from each month of the year in 2023. And I was like, oh, that's fun. And you know, like if you have an iPhone, it separates all of your photos by month. Like you can literally just click into the album and click month and it'll take you back. And you can see exactly what you were doing in June of 2022 pretty easily. So I did that for all of 2023. And as I was going back, I 
I should say when I started doing this, I didn't necessarily think that I like did a ton in 2023. We're all in different places in our lives, right? But I have made multiple major moves in my life. I have, you know, gone to school. I've changed jobs. I've been in big shows. I have started a podcast. I got married, you know, all in the last five years or so. So I've had like all of these major kind of milestones that just like those aren't going to happen every year. Right. So, but it's really easy to look back and be like, none of those things happened this year. I did nothing. So the photo thing was actually a really good way for me to look back and, and see what I prioritized in 2023 and what I did do in 2023. And it made me feel really good that first of all, I did a ton of things. I traveled abroad for the first time. I spent a lot of time with people that are mean a lot to me. And a lot of my photos were with so many different family members, many of them that I got to spend time with for the first time in a long time. And and stuff like that. Like it just reminded me of of all that I did do. And I felt really good too looking back on these pictures about the things that I did prioritize. And that was spending quality time with people that I really care about. So I encourage you to do that because I think sometimes like life just goes by so fast. We're constantly looking ahead. We're constantly challenging ourselves to continue to move forward and living just with that, the world's expectation of us that you got to be ready for tomorrow. You got to keep working for it, to stay in the game. And it can be difficult to, to just step back and say like, hey, you did it. You made it through another year and it looks pretty good. looks pretty good here on the other side. So that was a good moment or two for me to take. And I'd encourage you to do the same, whether you post it on your social media or you do it just for yourself and think back. I think, you know, month by month is is kind of a nice way to do it because it just, again, made me realize like, oh yeah, I went to opening day. I went to the final game of the season at Bush Stadium. I did all kinds of things that I haven't done in years past. And, you know, whether they were, super exciting things for somebody else. Like I even went to this really cool restaurant. That was one of my pictures that was, you know, an experience that'll, that'll stick with me. And I'll be talking about for years for, for many different reasons. So it doesn't have to be anything extravagant, but it's nice to look back on those little meaningful moments just within a 12 month span. You know, the other thing that I think I'm going to do for next year. And I, I brought it here to tell you about it, to show it to you, because maybe I will do it. If you are watching on YouTube, it, it's not really much to see here because you actually can't even see what it says on the front, but it's called the five-year journal. I probably bought this five years ago. I'm not kidding. I wrote in it, uh, I wrote in it three years ago, it appears that I was going to start it because it says uh, 2021 to 2026, but I did not, I did not start it. Uh, so the idea is it just has like a little spot where you write like a paragraph at most. Maybe you can see here, like this is, this is January 1st of one year, and then this will be January 1st of the next year. So you write just like a sentence or two every day in the same book for five years. And I thought, how cool is that? Because again, it's not like you're writing down like a five-year plan or like, you know, 
this year I want to make sure I buy a house and I do this and I do all these big things. Like it's none of that, but it, it really just puts in perspective, like how far you've come over the span of five years. And that can be measured in so many different ways. So I'm looking forward to giving that a go. Now that I've told you about it, uh, I am hopefully going to hold myself accountable, but it could just be a fun, a fun thing. Like, especially if you're not into setting specific goals or you're just not at the place in your life where that really makes sense. It's not worked well for you in the past, or it doesn't make you feel good to think about it. I think we all make a unique sense of progress that can be kept track of in a, in a different way. And so that might be a cool thing to challenge yourself. I don't know if that's the right term, uh, or maybe just have some fun with in the new year, whether you start it, I'm going to try to start it today. It's January 1st. Why not? But you could start it any day, any month, whenever, and go for a five-year period of time. Takes, you know, three to five minutes a day, I would guess. So I'm going to go for that and, and we'll see what happens. I'll be almost 40 years old. It'll be the year I'm turning 40. Will be the last year that I do it. No, we'll be like when I end it and I'll have to get my next one. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's talk about the resolution mindset a little bit, because if you are into resolutions, awesome. If you feel like just geared up for that this time of year, especially because there's not a lot else to be like geared up about, right? We have uh, a month of really no holidays here. If the Super Bowl isn't even until February, if you're into that kind of thing, not, but um. <laughs> So maybe, maybe this is your time where you, the holidays are over. You have a little bit more time to yourself and you want to go for it. You know what you want to go for. There's like always changes we know we want to make, right? But it can be scary and it can be intimidating and we can set ourselves up to fail really easily. So I wanted to give just kind of like a few tips of what I think is really helpful when you're, you know, fighting that resolution mindset and you're trying to decide the best way to go about it. The first thing that I would suggest is to make one change at a time. You've probably heard this before, but it's easy to forget. I am victim to it all of the time. It's easy to get overwhelmed and be unsuccessful quickly if you get too far ahead of yourself. And I'm I'm notorious for that because I am just like a all in kind of person, like don't want to half ass anything. So I'm like, if I'm going to do this, like I'm going to do it. So that's kind of my default. Anything worth doing is is worth doing well, you know, but in order to do it well, you got to take it one step at a time. I think that's the other part of this that that I'm trying to learn. Especially because a lot of the things that we want to resolve for are like daily behaviors. So for example, recently, just like a couple of months ago, I felt very like I don't know. I was just like living day to day and I was kind of bored and I had enough time on my hands that I was like, I should be, I should be finding some, some ways that I could improve myself or invest in myself, just positive ways I can be spending my time. And so I decided that I wanted to try to get back into daily journaling as well as, and here's where I went wrong. I want to learn to speak a foreign language. And I think Spanish is a language we should all be learning to speak these days in our country. Why not? So I wanted to start using the Babbel app to learn Spanish, which was a daily commitment that I was trying to make at the same time. <sighs> I, I I did it. I set myself up to fail. I should have started with one, but a lot of people do this with 
wellness goals by like trying to start working out and also eating healthy, like all at once. Those are separately like really big commitments or like I'm going to work out. I'm going to work out five days a week, but you've not been working out at all. Just overselling yourself there, right? One thing at a time. So if you pick something really small, but you are successful with it, you will feel so much more motivated to make other bigger changes. And small changes over time equate to very big changes. And, and most importantly, they're much more sustainable. So if you're trying to take the first step to commit to health and wellness, maybe we set the goal of working out two days a week, something like that. You know, you can always add more if it's super easy or, you know, hopefully you start to feel really good. You get into the routine and then you're like, awesome, adding the third day, not a big deal. So setting one smaller attainable goal creates a trickle down effect. And then you didn't even have to set the goal of eating healthier because by default on the days you're working out, you want to start to eat like lighter, more nutrition dense meals because that's, that's what makes you feel good. So don't get too far ahead of yourself. One small change can lead to so much. Just going to put that out there. The other resolution mindset that I, I think is a good one to take on is resolving for more good instead of less bad. So for example, instead of watching less TV, maybe you resolve to read more books. Instead of resolving to drink less soda, maybe you resolve to drink more water. Yes. Instead of spending less money on unnecessary purchases, maybe you resolve to put more money into savings. Less sweets, eat more protein instead. You get it. The more specific you can make these is going to be even better. If you're setting a, a specific amount of money aside into savings, again, by default, you're going to spend less money on unnecessary purchases because you're taking that, putting it in a separate account, setting it aside, and then you just don't even have it. If you're going to make yourself drink 16 ounces of water every time you go to grab a soda, make yourself drink that water before you can have the soda, you're probably going to forget that you wanted the soda to begin with. Or, you know, you're going to be so full of water, you yeah, you just don't even want it anymore. That kind of thing. I think that this sets you up better because by focusing on the positive, you are planning for what you're going to replace a habit that you're trying to kick with, right? And you're going to replace it with something. So if you focus on the good thing, it's a lot easier to kind of weed out the bad things by default. So instead of spending less time on your phone, commit to spending more time to making art, learning a new skill, conversing with family and friends. Think about what you could do, why you want to remove this behavior from your life, why is it negative, and think about the positive side of that instead. You get what I'm saying? I wanted to wrap up this, this section here, our resolution mindset with a really great resolution that I personally think we all could commit to this year if we are looking for a more is to ask more questions. I truly believe that one of the easiest ways to become interesting is to learn how to ask good questions. And by, I guess, become interesting is maybe just being somebody that people want to converse with and be around. And this is something that I think I really learned 
and I learned to appreciate from my husband. People of all kinds, they love talking to him, want to be around him. They feel more comfortable around him. And I think it's because he asks good questions and he genuinely takes interest in everyone he meets. And if we all did that for each other, what a world it would be. We both, both parties get more out of that, whether you're the one asking the questions or answering the questions. So, you know, why not? If you're looking for one, there you go. Remember to remind yourself that you can make a positive change at uh, any time of the year, month, week, day. As I started out, it does, it does not have to be today because here's the thing. You may have heard of this, but, but we learn a lot about this. Uh, if you have not listened before, you may not know that I'm a certified personal trainer. I've worked for years in, in group fitness and in strength training. I have a nutrition certification, all this kind of stuff. And I've learned a lot about human behavior. And that's a big part of some of these uh, certifications and continuing education stuff that I've done over the years. But there is the trans theoretical model is a theory that healthy behavior adoption moves through stages of change. The stages of change are pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, then action. Yeah. So the action is four. <laughs> you got to do three things before you get to actually doing it and then maintenance. So even if you're contemplating it and you're not ready to, to take the action yet, know that that is part of the stages of change. The fact that you have the desire that you are thinking about it, and if that's where you're at with it, stick with it, keep thinking about it, keep working through those emotions. And at some point, you're going to get ready for that preparation phase. You're going to start making some plans. And when you hit the action phase, it doesn't have to be January. It doesn't have to be Monday. It can be whatever day, whatever time, but stick with yourself and and be aware and stay in tune with yourself. It doesn't have to be at the start of a new year. That's this week in peace. This week in love. Love is, is like our hobbies, passions, relationships kind of segment. And, and this week in love, I want to talk to you about rescue animals. I don't know why I've been thinking more about this recently than usual. I guess I think about it all the time because I have three rescue animals and I have two, two dogs and a cat. And I have had really wonderful experiences with both of the organizations that I adopted my pets from. I adopted my cat, oh, like 11 and a half years ago from the ASPCA in New York City. And I adopted both my dogs from a Chicago area shelter called Rightway Rescue, uh, I guess like four and six-ish years ago, almost seven years ago. No, almost six years ago. <laughs> but anyway, I have had great experiences with both those organizations. I also have uh, multiple family pets between my parents and my brother that are from Paws, Chicago. So I'm not talking about one specific organization here because there are lots of wonderful ones. But what I did want to talk about is that I know there are some seemingly good reasons to get a purebred dog or animal pet, whether it's because you have a specific purpose for the dog in mind, like hunting, protection, therapy dog, et cetera, or maybe you have allergies and you want a hypoallergenic breed, or maybe you have kids and you want to ensure that your family is safe with the dog. That's a common one. I think it's a very understandable one. Like I get that. I do. But in my experience, 
if you rescue a dog while it is still a puppy, meaning like younger than six months old, you have a great opportunity to make an impact on that dog's behavior and its nature by how you nurture it. So just like people, animals are born with a certain nature to them for sure. And uh, I mean, I've learned that with, with my animals. I have two female dogs. And a lot of times female dogs do not uh, get along very well, but because our, our two, our dogs have different personalities, like just kind of by nature, they do get along really well. And they're a little besties and great playmates. But anyway, animals are born with that certain nature to them, right? And it's common, more common that certain breeds have certain personality traits, Yes, but there is no guarantee that your purebred golden retriever won't bite your kids if it pulls their tail or catches them off guard. Like most dogs are triggered by the same things unless they have been through a certain type of trauma, which a lot of them do go through if they have been in shelter situations or, you know, in bad situations into adulthood. You know, if they're over six months old, that's when those things really start to stick with them and affect their behavior. But I think there can be a lot of misconceptions with shelter pets. So I wanted to first put it out there that behaviorally, if you adopt them as a baby, the behavioral part of this is just likely way less of an issue. Additionally, mixed breeds are often healthier and they live longer than purebred dogs. And I don't know about you, I know this is not like the most common take. And there are some really freaking cute purebred dogs. Okay. I hold nothing against them. I love dogs of all kinds, but my dogs are beautiful and they're really unique looking and special. And I love like kind of guessing what breeds of dogs they might be or like why, you know, oh, they're doing this. Like, is that because of the shepherd in them or whatever? So I don't know. I think that part of it is, is interesting and fun too. And it's, it's cool to have a dog that doesn't look like any other dog. My one dog, I have never seen a dog that looks anything like her. And she's also a mix of like some really interesting dogs from what we do know about where she came from. And I don't know. I just think that's, that's a fun part of it. And obviously the same way that you would do your research to get a dog from a breeder, you should do your research on the shelter. And I'm sure that's a big reason why I had such a good experience with the places that I have adopted my dogs from and my cat. But there are so many shelters that do amazing work in ensuring animals are healthy before they are adopted. So while you might spend truly upwards of $3,000 to get a dog from a breeder, and they do not come necessarily with a clean bill of health, they're not yet vaccinated most of the time, or spayed or neutered, you can adopt a dog from a shelter for around $300. And that's like, the more urban area shelters. So maybe even less than that with a clean bill of health that has been vaccinated and spayed or neutered. Shelters are more invested in the health of their animals because it keeps all the other animals safe just by the fact that they're all in, you know, a similar area. They're, they're nonprofit, right? Their only goal is, is genuinely to rescue these animals and, and keep them safe and healthy and get them to good homes. That is their number one goal. So knowing again, that like, that's what you want for the dog. We're going to, we're going to talk more about shared goals here in a minute. So just tying it all together this week in peace, love and baseball. Here we go. But 
having that shared goal in mind, the shelter is just as invested in, in that dog's health and well-being as you are going to be as its caretaker at that point. They also provide great resources for training at a lot of shelters, or at least I can make a good recommendation for you, right? Because they have a lot of experience with that. So if you're in a position to adopt an adult animal, a lot of times the shelter has already invested in their training. The shelter that I got my dogs from, they have a training program for these adult dogs who have been through traumatic things or maybe not as comfortable around people because they haven't had that exposure and that comfort. So they, they're investing in that as part of their commitment to finding them a happy home. So if you can, all I'm saying is please consider it. There are so many animals everywhere who need homes through the course of nature that are not being bred for someone to make a profit off of it. And again, I love animals in any situation, any walk of life. If you have a purebred dog, I will love it. <laughs> But I would encourage you to look into this if you can, because if, if you are thinking about adding, you know, a pet to your family, because it's, again, I, I mostly say it because I just think there's some misconceptions with it. And, you know, my dogs are so happy and so healthy. They've had no major health issues. My cat, actually, I'll say I've talked a lot about dogs here, so I'll talk specifically because there are so many shelter cats. My cat is almost 12 years old. and he was, man, he was found in the hood of the car, hood of a car in the Bronx. So I don't, I don't remember specifically. I think it's on his adoption paperwork, like what he was treated for. I think it was like heartworm and fleas at the very least. I mean, he was a super tiny kitty, but he also has a chronic respiratory condition. It's called feline herpes virus. And I think something like 85% of shelter cats like have this chronic virus. And a lot of times I think that can be the reason why cats don't get adopted from shelters as much because you think, oh, if I go get like a cat from a breeder, it won't have it. No, it probably still has it. Like so, such a high percentage of cats have this because it's just so easily transmittable, but not all of them show symptoms of it at all. Some of them only show symptoms at certain points in their life. My cat Raja has, it's, it's basically like he has allergies some days. It's kind of dictated by the weather. Sometimes his eyes get a little goopy or his nose will get stuffed up. And I just wipe his nose and his eyes and he's completely and totally fine. He takes no medication and has never had any serious issues because of it. it does not affect his quality of life. So that's another thing. Uh, I, I say that because it's super, super common with shelter cats. I know that they have this feline herpes virus. And if you go to a good, reputable shelter, they will divulge that information and let you know so that you know, and they, you know, test them for it and they can tell you that, that they have it or they do not, but don't let it scare you away because I, I could see that being a thing that deters people when they find out about that, but it's just not, it's not something to be concerned about. And if anything, it's great that the shelter is, is giving you that information and that they have the resources to test for it and, and take care of the animals that way. So yeah, adopt don't shop. That's my love soapbox for this week. <laughs> Let's get to some baseball this week in baseball. So our baseball part of this segment is always going to be like a current headline, right? What's going on in the baseball world. And there's always so much. So I'm going to narrow it down to something that, you know, speaks to me specifically. Maybe I'm feeling 
particularly fired up about like what we're going to talk about today. And if you want to hear about like all the baseball storylines on a weekly basis, oh, I'm talking about that too. I'm just doing that, covering it more like comprehensively without the peace and love stuff on bourbon and baseball with Susie. So I'll link that in the show notes if you haven't found me over there. And then I'm also on the Babes Babes podcast where I'm a co-host with Jana, who's a Yankees fan over there. And we're talking about all, again, the weekly headlines, all the weekly stuff, all of the latest trades. Once the season gets going, there will just be like an overwhelming amount of stuff. So while I will hone in on some specifics here, and I'll always have plenty of baseball for you, if you want even more, that's where you can find me. And I'll remind you about that at the end of the show too. But yes, our baseball will always be a current headline event or storyline that is currently going on most of the time in, in primarily in Major League Baseball. So this week, I would like to talk about why the collective we, as, as baseball fans, hate the Dodgers. Now, I've talked a little bit about this on Bourbon and Baseball since the Otani and Yamamoto signings have happened. And I did an episode here a few weeks back after Otani signs, and we went over some specifics of that contract. Uh, it was before all of the information was out, but most of it was. So <laughs> we talked all about that, and you can go back and check that out. But it's it's been a couple weeks uh, since we've really gotten down to everything that's happening in the off season and everything that the national media is talking about, which is pretty much um, exclusively the Dodgers. So I think we, as a fan base of major league baseball of teams that are not the Dodgers, we're having a tough time articulating our disdain for what is currently happening in major league baseball. As I've had time to reflect on this, I am realizing how, it actually closely relates to frustrations in my own professional life at times and how it's got me feeling that same kind of way. Let me explain. In my previous job, I worked for a franchiser of fitness studios. So they own like 13 brands. I think at that point, I think they own like 10 brands, whatever. But I was in a unique scenario where I actually ended up working for the franchiser as opposed to a franchisee, but that was because of the pandemic. So I initially worked for a franchisee, which was the owner of these specific locations of the concept that was owned by the franchiser. And he ended up selling back to the franchiser, kind of getting bought out of his contract because, uh, you know, maybe opening a fitness concept is a new fitness concept nonetheless. Not great uh, in a huge urban area during a global pandemic, but you know, didn't have that foresight. So that was a really tricky situation to be in. But that's how I ended up working directly for the franchiser is that I was kept on by the franchiser. That was kind of part of the deal of them selling it back. So if you're not familiar with how franchising works, to put it in very simple terms, a franchiser has the business concept and then you as the franchise owner basically pay them part of your profits because the initial concept and branding of the concept was their idea. They own it. Actually, they, <laughs> they're never actually the people that come up with it, are they? Let's be honest. Uh, the creative people never make like the real money. <laughs> they sell their ideas to business people who have zero creativity and passion for anything other than monetizing things. But anyway, if you, uh, if you're a franchisee, you own the business, 
but you don't own the concept. And in most franchise agreements, there are specific things that you agree to in terms of like how you have to represent the brand and how your profits are distributed to the franchisor who owns the concept. Large franchisors like this one that I worked for often end up finding ways to make a lot of money internally within the specificity of, of their franchise agreements and just what it costs to even initially buy into the franchise, even while most of their locations are not profitable. So that's interesting. <laughs> but good franchises who are in it for the long run typically provide ongoing resources and support to the franchisees because, of course, the more successful locations, the more successful that locations are, a franchiser and, and the franchiser has in the long run, the more successful they will be as well at the top of it. But my point here, without getting into this too deeply, is that the franchisor does not need to guarantee success for the franchisee in order to make money off of them. So long story short, for years, I worked for a company whose leaders had a completely different goal in mind than I did as someone who was running some of their locations. While I was looking to create something that was rooted in community, that gave actual meaning, results, connection, and had true sustainability to you know, stand the test of time, the franchisor was looking for hard, fast numbers that they could use to take the company public and to show very short-term and therefore a false sense of success. That's what happens sometimes in business, right? The people at the top of the company are looking to make as much money as possible in a very specific amount of time and to put it down that, that way on paper to make it look the way they need it to look. And they don't disclose this, of course, because you can't sell passion-driven employees on that. And you don't want to pay them more to be incentivized by money. You're not going to pay them enough to be incentivized by the money. So you're strictly playing on passion-driven employees and telling these people on the ground who are ultimately making the franchisors any kind of money that they are invested. We as the franchise are invested in you. We're invested in your community for the long haul. They've got to sell you that story. Their actions clearly say otherwise. And I don't think you have to be a genius to see that your goals don't align with your employer. And, and that's ultimately what it came down to for me. And, and that's okay for them too, because they also rely on high turnover so they don't have to give raises and invest in anyone. It's all part of the model. Okay. Okay, Kelsey, but what does this have to do with why we hate the Dodgers? I'm getting to it. I promise. <laughs> all we have heard since the Dodgers signed Shohei and now Yamamoto is how many World Series will they win? Blah, blah, blah. Are the Dodgers winning the World Series in 2024? How much does it increase their odds of winning the World Series? How many rings do they have to win for these contracts to be worth it? Let me tell you, it's none. <laughs> Here's what I say to that. The Dodgers and all owners of teams for that matter, except for maybe Steve Cohen currently, the Dodgers care far less about winning than they do about making money. There is a far higher guarantee of the Dodgers making insane amounts of money off of Shohei Otani and Yoshi Yamamoto, especially combined, than there is of them winning even one World Series title over the course of the next decade. 
So my point is that I don't hate the Dodgers because I actually think no other team stands a chance against them. Like, I think that's what probably Dodgers fans think. And some of the national media thinks like, well, don't hate on them because you don't hate me because you can't be me. You know, that thing. That's not it. That's not it. I hate them because it's more exclusively about money than ever before. It's not about being sustainably good. It's not about even sustainably making a consistent amount of money. It's about we have this window of time. We have this opportunity and we're going to absolutely maximize on it. So I, I tie this back to, I guess, the miscommunication, you could call it, between like a franchisor and their employees or their franchise owners in that we're kind of like acting like we have the same goal, but there's always this friction and like weird feeling of like, why doesn't this feel right then? Or why isn't it working for me the way that they're saying that it should work for me? Why aren't the Dodgers this super team and just going to win the division every single year by default? Because that's just, that's not how it works. And that's also not their goal. (laughs) They don't have the same goal. I I guess here is maybe a little bit more detailed way to, to get into it. Because of the wealth held within the ownership, they are able to play the money-making game on a completely different level that it really is like bullying the other teams. Not to mention that you simply can't buy a title over a 162-game season and the nature of the Major League Baseball playoffs. We know that, right? So yes, of course, if you win, you can make even more money. I... I got that. I get it. But that's going to be like nice little surprise bonus. Nice if we can get it. But compared to the kind of revenue the organization has been able to guarantee by exploiting these players due to what they're able to pay for them relative to the rest of the market, it's pocket change. It really, I don't say it's irrelevant because more money to them, to these kinds of people is more money and they want all they can get. And I'm not saying they don't also want to win. It's just not their number one goal. I've always given Steve Cohen a hard time, but I will say that I do believe that that man has been spending money because he truly wants to win. Sure, yes, it's an ego thing. (laughs) Don't get me wrong there. But at least it is somewhat to do with the fact that he is a fan of the game. And at the end of the day, he and the fans do want the same thing, to win. They want to bring a World Series title to the Mets and to kind of change the narrative of that franchise as a whole. The Dodgers ownership and the fans want two totally separate things from, from where I'm standing. Dodgers ownership is maximizing revenue on so many levels that we cannot even imagine as fans. I, I really believe that with just with these two contracts alone, not to mention all of the others that they already have and have acquired that we haven't even talked about. Their goal is to make the most money humanly possible. Dodgers fans, of course, want to win. I believe Shohei Otani really wants to win as his number one goal at this point. I mean, why would it not be? He was going to make the same amount of money like overall one way or another. So I guess you could. he has the luxury to maybe not the same amount of money, but he was going to make an insane amount of money, you know, and, and probably pretty similar because of just how competitive the market was for him. That's how it goes. 
And sure, these highly valuable and expensive players might help them win. Sure. But not not necessarily any more than a team who invests more in developing and retaining the same kind of talent at a much lower price point. I've said this, I think, on Bourbon and Baseball probably a couple times already. And I know they're not done. And the season hasn't started yet. But right now, on paper, do you, th- do you think even with Otani not pitching in 2024 and Yamamoto first year in the league, do you think they're better than the Braves and the Phillies? I I don't. So, you know, Dodgers fans definitely going to pay a lot more to watch them win. Though uh, Otani made his sacrifice with the deferred money. So fans are going to do their part. Otani is, is doing his part. He's making more than enough and, and then some. But my point is that it's hardly even comparable to how much other people are making off of him. Those who have the most money to spend will always have the ability to make the most money and therefore continue to get wealthier and wealthier. And to them, that is winning. That's winning. They've won. If they've made the most money, if they've maximized on their profits. I'm certainly not saying that the Dodgers are the only team with this as their number one goal because honestly, outside of maybe Steve Cohen and the late Peter Seidler, all team owners have the same number one goal at all times, and that is to make money. So as much of it is as much of it as possible at all times. That's just that's it. That's the first and number one thing on their mind. And even Steve Cohn and Peter Seidler have realized breaking points of when winning goes from number one to number two on that list for them as well. So I'm not saying that it's like winning has always been number one for them, but they are more invested in the game and the community at certain points and comfortable enough in their financial status and situation that they've been willing to see if they can't put winning atop as a focus for the time being. But as soon as, as that gets that number two gets a little too low, they're like, Nope, making money has still got to be, be the top priority. They're only willing to temporarily make winning their priority when it takes too much of a toll on the money-making goal It's never worth it. Now, I'm the first to say that you can't blame owners for making decisions as business people because that is is what they are. And I know a lot of fans don't like to think about the business side of things and don't like to talk about this or hear about this. But like, I'm really into it. I don't, I mean, it's the reality of it. And so I guess I'd rather just like deal with the facts and I don't like sitting around and talking about like, well, why won't they do this? And why didn't they do this? And it's like, well, if you look at it from a business standpoint, which is what the people making the decisions are doing, it's a lot easier to understand why they do what they do overall. And I I think that that's the reason why I like looking at it that way. The decisions that they are making will always first and foremost be good for the business, or at least they think that they will be. That is their goal. But what I'm saying is don't be fooled by looking at a team like the Dodgers and say, wow, I wish my owner wanted to win like that. They don't want to win any more than the next owner. They they don't, but they have the cash flow and the capital to be able to make the investment into not the players, not the fans, but their own pockets getting 
deeper and bigger more than the owners of the other teams. That's that's the difference. That's all that it ever comes down to. So my ask for for you Dodgers fans is like and I, as all baseball fans like don't act like they are different. They just are a wealthier franchise. Got that Guggenheim money, baby. They just have more money. They are not better people to work for. And in fact, it could be quite the opposite. But they do have a lot more to work with. More money equals more money. I don't know if it's... It is more problems too. I'm sure. (laughs) But as fans, most of our number one goal... Again, it goes back to the alignment of goals thing, which is the whole analogy that I'm trying to make here. Our number one goal is for our team to win or at the very least be fun to watch. And of course, I want that for the Cardinals. But as a fan of baseball, I want all teams to have more exposure and a better following and a chance to be competitive. And that's why I hate the Dodgers. I want Japanese fans to follow more than just the freaking Dodgers and have more than just Dodger jerseys all over the world that one organization is profiting from over and over and over again. We already get enough of the national media shoving their favorite team, the Dodgers, in our face, and it just it feels like a conspiracy. We don't love baseball because there's one good team. We love baseball because of all 30 franchises that make up Major League Baseball. And it wouldn't be the same without it. So this is going to take me straight into our next new segment, which I'm really excited to commit to because I told you that one of the biggest things that I knew I wanted to do with this podcast is to cover all of baseball. I am obviously a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan. I follow the Cardinals really closely. I know a lot more about the inner workings of that team and that organization because I have followed them my whole life. But our newest weekly segment, in addition with This Week in Peace, Love, and Baseball, is going to be a weekly team feature. We are going to feature a certain team in Major League Baseball. We're going to go through all 30 teams throughout the course of this year. So, you know, one week it'll be Colorado Rockies week and we'll have a segment of the podcast that is dedicated specifically to the history of the franchise, the inner workings of the franchise, like what makes them unique, what is their organizational approach, how does that fit in with the rest of the league, uh, what is more important to the fan base, you know, how 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 are the fans of the Rockies? I don't know. I don't know any Rockies fans, but I'm going to meet some because We're going to have interviews with writers, fans, employees of these teams, et cetera. We're going to get into it all. And you're saying, Kelsey, there's there's 50 weeks, 50 episodes that you've committed to, and there's only 30 teams. Well, some weeks we're going to feature other leagues or other teams from other leagues, stuff like that. So we might have a professional league feature like the KBO, which is the Korean Baseball League. Uh, The Frontier League is another professional baseball league. There's many of them just in the United States alone. We've got the Nippon, the Japanese Baseball League, the Women's National Team, which has some really exciting stuff coming up this summer in 2024. So we'll cover some stuff like that as well to fill out those additional 20 weeks of episodes. And of course, we're still going to have interview episodes from time to time with guests, but the majority of the episodes are going to have This Week in Peace, Love, and Baseball and a weekly team feature 
that we'll have some fun with. You as listeners, you know, you can always submit questions for guests about their team or their area of expertise. So if we're going to have a guest on, going to try to do a better job to kind of plan that out a little bit more so we can get you more involved and we can submit your questions or topics of interest to them. And then the same thing with the teams. We want you to know that coming up, we're going to talk about this team what are your thoughts? What do you want to ask someone who maybe has covered the the Washington Nationals? You know, um, we we can get into it all. So having a little bit more foresight and planning out is going to allow us to do just that and continue to have plenty of fun and interaction here on Peace, Love, and Baseball. So we will have our first team feature next week. Any guesses on who the first team will be? Take a stab at it, and then maybe by the end of the week here, I will put it out there, and we'll start to get some some questions, some thoughts, some interaction on our first weekly team feature. Well, as with everything, I'm sure the show will continue to evolve, and we'll have you know new segments or segments that we've done before from time to time. And as always, I appreciate your feedback, so do not be afraid to share. You can always reach out to me at kbirdtweets at gmail.com. So my same little, oh my gosh, I can't point to the thing. If you're watching on YouTube, it's hard, really hard to mirror yourself. But here, this is kbirdtweets just at gmail.com is the email. If that's a more comfortable way to, to get in touch with me, to you know give feedback, request a topic, all that kind of stuff. Make sure you are subscribed here on the YouTube channel which I believe is Kbird Tweets. Kbird Tweets is the YouTube channel. You'll see Peace, Love, and Baseball in the title as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at Kbird Tweets, on Instagram at peace.love.baseball, and then on our Facebook page, Peace, Love, and Baseball, for all the weekly episodes and engagement. Make sure that you are subscribed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music if you are listening in. That way you can't miss an episode. You can also you know, give a a nice little rating or a written review there, which is super helpful because we all know like that we look at reviews of everything when we're trying to decide what to consume out of all the incredible options that we have these days. So yeah, if you got an extra second or two, figure out, it can be kind of hard to figure out how to give a review. But if you take the time and do that, I'd be super appreciative and would be happy to give you a shout out. And like I said, you can also catch me weekly on Bourbon and Baseball with Susie, who is an Astros fan, but we talk about all of baseball all the time. And we're doing a really fun segment over there right now, too, where we are featuring a one player from each team that's on the 40-man roster, maybe a lesser-known player, maybe some nice personal information, personal touches in there. So that's fun leading up to the season that we're doing right now. And then I'm also on Babes Babes with Jana, who is a Yankees fan. But again, we're covering all of baseball. We've had some really freaking cool guests recently on Babes Babes. We had the Cubs organist. We had um, Rinch Chichimino, who uh, produces the mayor's office, which is like a, a daily baseball podcast. He has been a producer for MLB Network, worked on ESPN, done all – all this just really cool stuff of that you don't necessarily sit around and think like, who's doing that? But when you meet the guy who does it, you're like, whoa, you're kind of a big deal. And he's just a really awesome human being. So go check out Babes Babes and make sure you're following stuff 
for Susie and Jana as well if you have yet to do so. And then, you know, you'll just have all your baseball content all week long. The women are taking over baseball content in 2024, y'all. Let's go. Thank you again for hanging for me, the, hanging with me <laughs> this week and every week. We are onward and upward in 2024. I will catch you next time for more peace, love, and baseball. Yeah.